Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Yesterday, we, uh, Teresa and I were, attended the memorial service for her uncle, Carl Nelson, who was uh, just a few weeks shy of 98 years old when he went home to be with the Lord. And it was uh, her mother's uh, oldest brother. And he, it was quite a service. And as we uh, reviewed his life and celebrated his life, and uh, he was a man with 30 years in the Navy and then another career. And uh, he was, uh, uh, during the war, he was at the helm of the USS Hornet when Doolittle's uh, planes took off. He was at Midway. He was at several key places of history. He was a faithful servant, and he refer- talked about his life of serving God. And it struck me, his involvement at his church and with his family and in his work and his military clear. Uh, he was, uh, his stick to and his dependability. They were Swedish, the Nelsons, and a strong Scandinavian background. And one of the traits, um, I don't mean the stereotype, but one of the traits of, of uh, Swedes and Norwegians too is that, that came to America was a very strong stick to and dependability, hardworking, and see things through. Uh, it was part of the, the traits that our church came from. We had such a Scandinavian strong background, uh, except for me, uh, in our church when we came when our church started. And that was part of this part of our, our, our DNA as a church as well. And it reminded me that uh, Teresa's mom, uh, who was also, of course, Swedish, um, every so often in the course of life, and I can't remember all the details, but I just remember this several times happening, something would really get in a knot, literally. You know, the kind that just is so mixed up, whether it was a, a rope, a string, a cord, uh, something that was just so entangled that... My response is to get the scissors, right? That's the simplest way to take care of it, because I don't have the stick to to do that. And uh, was this always the kind of thing that, we'll give, it to, give it to Ostrich, she'll take care of it. And sure enough, might be an hour and a half later, you know, it was untangled, because she had that stick to It really struck me in our study this week from, and I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 20, one of the perplexing passages to me, um, as far as God's dealings with humanity, and this is from our studies of the life of Moses. And it was interesting as I was, I read the commentaries and I go to my study aids. One of the ones I use for my Old Testament in the Torah is the Jewish, the, the Jewish Publication Society Torah Commentaries, a volume this size for each book. And this is the one from Numbers. And on this passage, of Numbers chapter 20, there's an excursus at the at the back of the book that has like a special chapter on a particular issue. And it says, here's what it says. This is from the Jewish commentary. That's one of the standard commentaries on the Torah on Numbers. Down through the ages, the sin of Moses, as described in Numbers 21 through 13, has been regarded as one of the Gordian knots of the Bible. If you aren't sure what a Gordian knot is, go home and look it up on the internet. But it's from a, a myth, the Greek myth, of a knot that couldn't be untied until somebody could untie it. This idea has kind of come down to Gordian knot, the untieable 
not. At least ten, it says the punishment is clear. But what is the crime? What is the crime? At least ten explanations given by the medieval Jewish commentators deserve our serious attention. And they can be subsumed under three different aspects of the biblical account. Then it goes on to go through the ten various um, explanations of what is the crime in Numbers 20 that Moses suffers such severe punishment for. So I want us to look at that this morning. Let's pray as we open God's word. Fathers, we open your word. Uh, may our hearts be open to you. Uh, may each time we gather around your word, uh, may we allow your word to impact our lives, to help us to grow, to challenge us, and most of all, to draw us close to you. So we give these next few minutes to you in Christ's name. Amen. Numbers chapter 20. This is our last week of our study together in Sunday School and Church in the life of Moses. In the morning service, we have a couple more weeks we're going to uh, look at Moses' life until we start our Advent season. But Moses chapter 20. The first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh, that is Kadesh Barnea, where we left them in Sunday school this morning during the rebellion. But there Miriam, Moses' sister, died and was buried. Now, remember, this generation is not going to be allowed to go in the promised land. So Miriam and Aaron as well are not going to be allowed. And Miriam dies. Now, there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and they said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring this Lord's community into this desert? That we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us out of Egypt, this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink. Now it's interesting. Uh, we'll stop there for a moment. This is sort of a repetitive story, isn't it? That there is this grumbling and complaining against Moses. Even we saw in Sunday school this morning that even Aaron and Miriam complained against Moses and rebelled against him. And it's usually when they hit these crisis points where there's nothing to eat, where there's a fear that there's no water. Well, God's been providing manna all along. This happened once before. And if you remember the story, it was it happened before. God told Moses to strike the rock with his stick, and he did so. And water gushed out of that rock and provided water for the whole community. And we see this constantly, this complaining, and, and, and Moses becomes the, the target of it. Why did you bring us out here? Last week we saw God saying to Moses, these people that you brought out here um, have rebelled against me. So even God challenges Moses that way. So we hit this crisis once again, and they are complaining. They are already, they've already been banned from going in the promised land because of their previous rejection of God's leading to go into the promised land and to deny that God could do it when the 12 spies went and came back and only Joshua and Caleb said they could go. And we've hit this other crisis point again. And it was interesting, it was interesting, as you notice in verse 5, he says, why did you bring us out of Egypt, this terrible place? Notice what it doesn't have. Grain, figs, grapevines, or pomegranates. Now, if you were in Sunday school this morning, do you remember what this report that the 12 spies brought back from the land? It is a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. And what did they bring back as samples? Grapes 
figs, pomegranates. The very things that they brought back and said, we can go get this land, are the very things that they are complaining about now that they don't have. I don't think this would have been lost on Moses and Aaron. So there's a crisis here. And I want you to notice the response. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they go by themselves. I think it's pretty clear. Just Moses and Aaron. This is the tent that is outside the camp where Moses goes to meet with God. So Moses and Aaron go out to the tent of meeting by themselves. And they fall down face face to the ground before God. And it says, the glory of the Lord appeared to them again. I put the word again in there. But once again, the glory of God appears to Moses and Aaron. The, the very, in, the, in the Hebrew translation, in the, um, the, the Torah by the Jewish publication, it's the, the presence of God appears to them again. The presence of God, the Chavad, the glory of God appears to them again. And the Lord speaks to Moses. And the Lord says to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron Gather the assembly, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. So this time, instead of striking the rock, they are told to speak to the rock. You will bring you will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. This was told to Moses and Aaron. So they go do it. Moses took the staff in the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. And it's a strong word here. Listen, you rebel. I, I, he's not, he's not, this is not a, okay, everybody, I want to talk to you now. You're rebellious. No, he's mad at them. Moses is at a point where he's had it too. He's had it with these people who just com- constantly complain and criticize and want to go back to Egypt where they came from. Some of you remember I don't know, it was back in the early 80s. Remember the um, the artist uh, Keith Green, um, Christian musician? And uh, he died in a plane crash quite young. And it's a very powerful Christian song. One of them, I remember, the, I just remember the album cover. I have the album, I just the cover, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. Uh, so You Want to Go Back to Egypt? You really want to go back to Egypt? Did you forget you were slaves in Egypt? You want to go back? And Moses is, is so angry with them. And he says, you rebels. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And Moses raised his arm, and of course, instead of speaking to the rock, he slammed that rock, that staff down, and he struck that rock twice, and water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank, just like before. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I will give them. These were the waters to Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he, that is God, showed himself holy among them. This is, this is a s- severe punishment. Joshua and Caleb, who trusted God, they will go into the land. Moses, who's trusted God, who has led these people. At times he's cried out, God, what what am I, a nursemaid to bring all these babies with me into the land of of promise? He He has wept for these people. He has interceded. He has begged God, don't destroy them for your name. We've seen this. 
He pleaded for God. We saw in Sunday school this morning for his sister Miriam when she rebelled against him and Aaron and she was struck with leprosy and she would have died from it. She was in the process of dying from it. And God says, Moses says, God, heal her. Don't do this. And God relented and healed her. He has, he has begged for these people. He has led these people. We looked at how he's identified with these people. He has served these people. He's been faithful to God. He's done everything God has told him to do. And he loses his temper. And, and, and really, you know, we, we talk about holy indignation, righteous indignation. We see this in the Bible. We see Jesus in the temple lose his temper, if you will, and, and turn over the, temp, the, the tables and drive them out in his anger. We don't see it very often, but we see it there. And, any of, and I think any of us, I don't know about you, but from what I read, the information I have in here, I have to look at this and say, you know, I, Moses is justified in being angry with these people. And this is what that commentary said. We, you know, the punishment is clear. It's clear. God says, Moses, that's it. You can take them to the edge, but you will not take them. You will not even go into the promised land. You will not set foot in that promised land with these people when they go. And this is so serious. In fact, it's so serious that when you get to Deuteronomy, the early chapters of Deuteronomy, where Moses is about to die, and he, he retells, Dudo means second, Namas is law, second reading of the law. Deuteronomy is basically a summary of the Old Testament law. They're going to read, Moses is going to read it again and give them a chance to commit to it once again. To agree to God's covenant with them. And he begins it, and early on in that passage he says, I, I begged God, I asked him several times, could I please go in the promised land? And he says, and God said to me, Moses, do not speak of this again. Don't bring this up again. You read it there. Do not bring us up again. You are not going in the promised land. And the question that the Jewish commentary suggests is Gordian not. What is the serious crime? Now when you look at it, our first response might be that in front of the people, he willingly disobeyed God and gave them a bad example. But, but, those people weren't there when God told him what to do. They didn't know what the plan was. Right? They were there last time when the plan was to strike the rock. And God was angry with them there. And he struck the rock and water gushed out. If you were in that audience... And you had not been there when you, you did not hear what God told Moses. I don't think anybody heard that but Moses and Aaron. And Moses comes out once again and repeats the scene and he's angry and he hits the rock and water gushes out. How does that dishonor God in front of these people who they don't know that that wasn't the plan? What is the public dishonoring in that? They don't know. This is exactly what happened last time. It seems like the same thing. I don't know that anybody would have been dishonoring to God because Moses did exactly what he did last time. What is the crime? What is so serious here? Obviously it's disobedience, but what is the crime that is so serious that God says, Moses, you dishonored me. You dishonored me in front of your people. 
to the point that when Moses brings it up again, God says, Moses, quit talking about this. I'm not going to talk about it. You know, parents, right? Don't bring it up again. It's not happening. What is it? Well, I want to suggest to you that it's interesting, the commentaries that um, I have that are from an evangelical Christian persuasion and ones in our church library and the Jewish Publication Society, Commentary and the Torah, uh, they all agree on this. And I, I think I think they're right. Again, you know, it's it's a Gordian knot. Um, you have to make your decision. You can read the scriptures too. It doesn't it doesn't specifically say. But I think we get some clues in the Bible. And if you look at if you look at Psalm 106, where Moses recounts I'm sorry, not Moses, where the psalmist recounts the history of Israel in the 106th Psalm as they're rehearsing of their journeys. And in in Psalm 106, as as he's rehearsing the journeys of Israel, in verse 32 he gets to this story. By the waters of Meribah, they angered the Lord. And trouble came to Moses because of them. And Moses says the same thing in Deuteronomy. God was angry with you people. And on account of that, he punished me. But it was because of his anger with you. And then it says, For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and notice, and rash words came from Moses' lips. Rash words came from Moses' lips. What were the rash words? We go back to Numbers. I don't think the rash words were, you rebellious people, he is telling them the truth. There's nothing rash about that. It's all wrapped up basically in one word. Nazi. Nazi, Rahim Mayim. Nazi. Where he says this, Must we give you water? God said, you speak to that rock. You see, whenever Moses performed miracles, think of the, think of the ten plagues. Think of their miracles. Moses didn't have to say, Red Sea depart. Moses didn't have to say frogs come on the land. Moses had to show up and lift his staff. He predicted to Pharaoh what would happen and he showed up and it happened. You see the, the, the soothsayers and the magicians in the old world of the various gods. And these people, the Israelites came out of a context where idolatry was just as common to them as freeways and roads and cars are to us when we leave this place today. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And there were a multitude of idols. And everybody, there were no atheists in this old world. They, they were, they, everybody worshipped the gods. It was a question of whose god was most powerful. And if our army wins and we beat you, obviously our god's more powerful. Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth. The Pharaoh himself was worshipped as a god. These people were steeped in this. And they have been gradually trying to be taken away from this. On the, on the Mount Sinai, when Moses is on the mountain, the people are down doing what? With Aaron, building a golden calf. You remember from Sunday school what Aaron's explanation was, how it happened? We melted 
the gold and stuff. We threw it in the fire, and what happened? Poof, out popped this calf. <laughs> yeah, really, Aaron? Really? When the Bible says you made it, you fashioned it, you formed it, these people were so steeped in idolatry that even Aaron succumbed to this. And the magicians and the soothsayers in the old world and, and in these people that they were, they did this all the times. They said, we on behalf of our gods, we do this. We perform this. We conduct this. We make this happen. And God said to Moses, you speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. And I will provide water. And I think I want to suggest to you the sin of Moses when he lifted his staff to, to hit that rock and, he, and, and, and cried against those people. And he said, listen, you rebels, must not see, must we, me and Aaron, must we bring water from this rock for you. We bring you water out of this rock, not see. We do it. And he hit the rock, and the water came out. And the message clearly was, Moses and Aaron performed this miracle and brought water from that rock. And God said, Moses, you have dishonored me in front of these people. You are acting just like the magicians in Egypt. You have claimed that you have done this. I think that's the crime. I think that's the serious crime. It's not that he so much he struck the rock that dishonored the people, but that he claimed we are doing this. And they were, they, their thirst was quenched. And the journey went on. And because of this, Moses was so severely punished that the only thing in his life He's getting to 120 years old. He has served God all these years. We have seen him grow before us as we've studied his life. We've seen this man who started out wanting to free Israel. He thought for sure they would know it was him. And he was banished to the wilderness. He spent 40 years taking care of his father-in-law's flocks. And we see him tell God, God, I can't do this. I can't go back there. I'm not going to do it. Find someone else. It's not me. I'm not going to do this. God says, you're doing it, Moses. You go back there. You do it. And we see him grow before our eyes in the Scriptures. This man of humbleness, of faithfulness, of genuine compassion. And we see a leader emerge that is one of the... To, to, the, to the Jewish world, Moses is, 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 is the one who is their liberator. He is the one who brought their epic salvation event through God's power. He is revered. He is Moses. And he cannot even go into the promised land. He gets to go up and see it. And we'll see this. And he dies there. And he never steps foot in the promised land. Because of this. This is so important. This is so important. God has forgiven Aaron. God has forgiven Miriam. God forgives these people and lets them go with all their sinfulness. But Moses... This is so blatant that he says, we are going to do this. And God says, you can't, you can't go. And I want to just suggest this morning, is there an application for us in this? Is there an application for us in this?
And I think there is. You know, the Apostle Paul says, all Scripture is what? Profitable. It is useful for our instruction, our training in righteousness, our admonition. All Scripture. There is no part of Scripture that does not have application to us. Yes, we understand the specific applications to Israel, to the various eras and dispensations. We understand the, the applications in those, as we talk about these, these truths that are, that are particularly for them. And yet there are principles. And Paul says all scripture is for our learning. And as I consider this passage, we close this morning, this, this, as we end this study from Moses in Sunday school and church together, we'll just finish up the life of Moses for a couple of weeks. There's a couple passages that I that I think of. And I want you to turn in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll just touch on these, mention these, and we're going to uh, let you go home and give some more thought to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, writing to this church at Corinth, one of the early Christian churches that he founded and spent 18 months with them. And he says to them, in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, You know, that you, Corinthians, are a letter. You are an epistle. This is the epistle to the Corinthians, which means it's the letter to the Corinthians. He says, you are a letter. You are an epistle from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives Life. Then he goes on to talk about the words that were engraved on the stones that brought glory. He talks about Moses here. You read the rest of this chapter. And I love this phrase. I love this thought that you and I, we are believers, just as the people in Corinth. You and I, our young people, our children that have come to know Christ. Many children left here minutes ago that have received Christ as their Savior. I know most of them. And I know their stories. That you and I are letters. We are epistles. That it's written in our hearts that we are representatives of the glory of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are representatives to our world of the glory of God. Just as Moses was a representative of the presence and glory of God when he fell face down before God and came back to the people and slipped up here. And said, we, in his anger, must we do this? We will do this. And God says, no, Moses, it's not we, it's me. These people have to learn this. These people have to learn that it's me. It has nothing to do with humans who can do these things. God has called us, friends. And when I say that you are an epistle, you are a letter, you are, the, in a sense, the presence of God. If Christ, if the Holy Spirit lives within you as he does, if you know Christ, every place you go, God goes. Everyone you talk to, God is there. And when I say that I am an epistle to, to, to the world, I'm talking about my world. 
Where is my world? My world is down on 79th Street in Seattle. My world is here in Shoreline when I come to work. My world is when I go to the mall and the stores. My world is when I travel. My world is people I interact with every day. And so is your world. And friends, this is so important. This is so important that we are representatives of the Most High and Holy God, our Savior Jesus Christ, and the very presence of the Holy Spirit. This is serious. This is a privilege. Parents, to your children, you are representing God. Your children learn about their Heavenly Father. Your children live with you as fathers and mothers. What are you representing to your children and grandparents and family members? What are we representing? We represent God. And this is so important. God is not going to take away our salvation as He did not take away Moses' salvation. We've already talked about this from Hebrews, right? And we know that because on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was there? Moses and Elijah. So the trick question, did Moses ever get into the promised land? Al Lowen's going to tell you, yes. Right? <laughs> Mount of Transfiguration. Took a while. <laughs> okay. God is not going to take away our salvation. But our witness is so important. Your life is so important. And where you go this week, young people, where you go, I can't go. It is so important. And it's so important that the Apostle Paul says, we are epistles. We are letters of God to our world of the love and compassion of Jesus Christ and of righteousness and faithfulness. I agree. I think this was Moses' crime. Not see. We will do this. And it wasn't them. It was God. And that's all that mattered. If you come in this building, you will see a plaque. You know, most Kevin mentioned things that we don't think about. There are a few plaques around this building that most of us don't think about because it's not the kind of things you stare at. But as you go out of this building, you'll see a plaque on the wall right over there in our narthex to the praise of His glory. Ephesians chapter 1. And this building was dedicated. When all was said and done, the only reason it's here and the only reason we're here is to be to the praise of His glory. Let's keep that in focus this week, friends. This week. Today. Let's keep this in focus. That we are here to bring glory and honor to God as we represent Him in our worlds. We please stand. We just finished our missions conference a few weeks ago. And our goal is $130,000 this year. We're just... Uh, I got the note here. I think we're just shy of $102,000 and 61 cards have been turned in. So if you would continue to pray about that, we'll keep our globe up there for a few more weeks. And uh, I trust that we'll hit that goal, meet that goal, so our mission committee will know uh, the work that they have ahead of them 
in the year to come. Let's pray. Father, as, we, as I stand before you today, I have to confess, and you know, um, this is one of those passages I've, I've always struggled a little bit with. Uh, you know, in my heart, I've always, um, I've always kind of thought it was a little bit unfair that Moses was not allowed to at least cross the Jordan River and, and, and see that holy land and that precious soil that he wanted to stand on. And I thank you, Lord, this, this week you've used uh, some other uh, thoughts. Uh, and I, I think I feel resolved about this. I understand. And I understand how important this is. And uh, this is a lesson for you. I thank you. You loved Moses. And you, you did bring him home to yourself. And uh, he deserves uh, the standing he has. As, uh, as we saw this morning in Sunday school, the, the humblest man on earth. The humblest man on earth. What a leader. But yet your glory and your honor is so important. And it is a little unsettling, Lord. I mean, it's got to be a little bit for all of us to, to, to think that we represent you and where we go, you go. And so I pray this week that uh, you would talk to each of us and that uh, this week when we're tempted to say an unkind word, We're tempted to grouse and complain about elections. Uh, We're tempted maybe to do something dishonest at work for a slight advantage or gain. Uh, We're tempted to put ourselves first. We're tempted to not serve, but to be served. Uh, Lord, I just pray for me and for all of us that uh, your Holy Spirit would convict us and remind us every hour, every day of the reason you called us to bring honor and glory to your name. We offer that to you this day. In our beautiful Savior's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Nazi Rahem Mayim. Nazi. Where he says this, Must we give you water. God said, you speak to that rock. You see, whenever Moses performed miracles, think of the think of the ten plagues. Think of their miracles. Moses didn't have to say, Red Sea depart. Moses didn't have to say, frogs come on the land. Moses had to show up and lift his staff. He predicted to Pharaoh what would happen, and he showed up, and it happened. You see, the, the, the soothsayers and the magicians in the old world, the various gods, and these people, the Israelites came out of a context where idolatry was just as common to them as freeways and roads and cars are to us when we leave this place today. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And there were a multitude of idols. And everybody, there were no atheists in this old world. They, they were, they, everybody worshipped the gods. It was a question of whose God was most powerful. And if our army wins and we beat you, obviously our God's more powerful. Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth. The Pharaoh himself was worshipped as a God. These people were steeped in this. And they have been gradually trying to be taken away from this. On On the Mount Sinai, when Moses is on the mountain, the people are down doing what? With Aaron, building a golden calf. You remember from Sunday school what Aaron's explanation was, how it happened? We melted the gold and stuff. We threw it in the fire and what happened? 
poof, out popped this calf. <laughs> yeah, really, Aaron? Really? When the Bible says you made it, you fashioned it, you formed it, these people were so steeped in idolatry that even Aaron succumbed to this. And the magicians and the soothsayers in the old world and, and in these people that they were, they did this all the times. They said, we on behalf of our gods, we do this. We perform this. We conduct this. We make this happen. And God said to Moses, you speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. And I will provide water. And I think I want to suggest to you the sin of Moses when he lifted his staff to, to hit that rock and, 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 and cried against those people. And he said, listen, you rebels, must not see, must we, me and Aaron, must we bring water from this rock for you. We bring you water out of this rock, not see. We do it. And he hit the rock, and the water came out. And the message clearly was, Moses and Aaron performed this miracle and brought water from that rock. And God said, Moses, you have dishonored me in front of these people. You are acting just like the magicians in Egypt. You have claimed that you have done this. I think that's the crime. I think that's the serious crime. It's not that he so much he struck the rock that dishonored the people, but that he claimed we are doing this. And they were, they, their thirst was quenched. And the journey went on. And because of this, Moses was so severely punished that the only thing in his life He's getting to 120 years old. He has served God all these years. We have seen him grow before us as we've studied his life. We've seen this man who started out wanting to free Israel. He thought for sure they would know it was him. And he was banished to the wilderness. He spent 40 years taking care of his father-in-law's flocks. And we see him tell God, God, I can't do this. I can't go back there. I'm not going to do it. Find someone else. It's not me. I'm not going to do this. God says, you're doing it, Moses. You go back there. You do it. And we see him grow before our eyes in the Scriptures. This man of humbleness, of faithfulness, of genuine compassion. And we see a leader emerge that is one of the... To, to, to the Jewish world, Moses is, 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 is the one who is their liberator. He is the one who brought their epic salvation event through God's power. He is revered. He is Moses. And he cannot even go into the promised land. He gets to go up and see it. And we'll see this. And he dies there. And he never steps foot in the promised land. Because of this. This is so important. This is so important. God has forgiven Aaron. God has forgiven Marion. God forgives these people and lets them go with all their sinfulness. But Moses... This is so blatant that he says, we are going to do this. And God says, you can't, you can't go. And I want to just suggest you this morning, is there an application for us in this? Is there an application for us in this? And I think there is. 
You know, the Apostle Paul says, all Scripture is what? Profitable. It is useful for our instruction, our training in righteousness, our admonition. All Scripture. There is no part of Scripture that does not have application to us. Yes, we understand the specific applications to Israel, to the various eras and dispensations. We understand that the applications in those, as we talk about these, these truths that are, that are particularly for them. And yet there are principles. And Paul says all scripture is for our learning. And as I consider this passage, we close this morning, this, this, as we end this study from Moses in Sunday school and church together, we'll just finish up the life of Moses for a couple of weeks. There's a couple passages that I that I think of. And I want you to turn in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll just touch on these, mention these, and we're going to uh, let you go home and give some more thought to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, writing to this church at Corinth, one of the early Christian churches that he founded and spent 18 months with them. And he says to them, in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, You know... That you, Corinthians, are a letter. You are an epistle. This is the epistle to the Corinthians, which means it's the letter to the Corinthians. He says, you are a letter. You are an epistle from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives Life. Then he goes on to talk about the words that were engraved on the stones that brought glory. He talks about Moses here. You read the rest of this chapter. And I love this phrase. I love this thought that you and I, we are believers, just as the people in Corinth. You and I, our young people, our children have come to know Christ. Many children left here minutes ago that have received Christ as their Savior. I know most of them. I know their stories. That you and I are letters. We are epistles. That it's written in our hearts that we are representatives of the glory of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are representatives to our world of the glory of God. Just as Moses was a representative of the presence and glory of God when he fell face down before God and came back to the people and slipped up here. And said, we, in his anger, must we do this? We will do this. And God says, no, Moses, it's not we, it's me. These people have to learn this. These people have to learn that it's me. It has nothing to do with humans who can do these things. God has called us, friends. And when I say that you are an epistle, you are a letter, you are, the, in a sense, the presence of God. If Christ, if the Holy Spirit lives within you as he does, if you know Christ, every place you go, God goes. Everyone you talk to, God is there. And when I say that I am an epistle to, to, to the world, I'm talking about my world. Where is my world? 
My world is down on 79th Street in Seattle. My world is here in Shoreline when I come to work. My world is when I go to the mall and the stores. My world is when I travel. My world is people I interact with every day. And so is your world. And friends, this is so important. This is so important that we are representatives of the Most High and Holy God, our Savior Jesus Christ, and the very presence of the Holy Spirit. This is serious. This is a privilege. Parents, to your children, you are representing God. Your children learn about their Heavenly Father. Your children live with you as fathers and mothers. What are you representing to your children and grandparents and family members? What are we representing? We represent God. And this is so important. God is not going to take away our salvation as He did not take away Moses' salvation. We've already talked about this from Hebrews, right? And we know that because on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was there? Moses and Elijah. So the trick question, did Moses ever get into the promised land? Al Lowen's going to tell you, yes. Right? <laughs> Mount of Transfiguration. Took a while. <laughs> okay. God is not going to take away our salvation. But our witness is so important. Your life is so important. And where you go this week, young people, where you go, I can't go. It is so important. And it's so important that the Apostle Paul says, we are epistles. We are letters of God to our world of the love and compassion of Jesus Christ and of righteousness and faithfulness. I agree. I think this was Moses' crime. Nazi. We will do this. And it wasn't them. It was God. And that's all that matters. As you come in this building, you will see a plaque. You know, most Kevin mentioned things that we don't think about. There are a few plaques around this building that most of us don't think about because it's not the kind of things you stare at. But as you go out of this building, you'll see a plaque on the wall right over there in our narthex to the praise of his glory. Ephesians chapter 1. And this building was dedicated. When all was said and done, the only reason it's here and the only reason we're here is to be to the praise of his glory. Let's keep that in focus this week, friends. This week. Today. Let's keep this in focus. That we are here to bring glory and honor to God as we represent Him in our worlds. We just finished our missions conference a few weeks ago. And our goal is $130,000 this year. We're just... Uh, I got the note here, I think we're just shy of $102,000, and 61 cards have been turned in, so if you would continue to pray about that, we'll keep our globe up there for a few more weeks, and uh, I trust that we'll hit that goal, meet that goal, so our mission committee will know uh, the work that they have ahead of them in the year to come. Let's pray.
Father, as we, as I stand before you today, I have to confess, and you know, um, this is one of those passages I've, I've always struggled a little bit with. Uh, you know, in my heart, I've always, um, I've always kind of thought it was a little bit unfair that Moses was not allowed to at least cross the Jordan River and, and, and see that holy land and that precious soil that he wanted to stand on. And I thank you, Lord, this, this week you've used uh, some other uh, thoughts. Uh, and I, I think I feel resolved about this. I understand. And I understand how important this is. And this is a lesson for you. I thank you. You love Moses. And you, you did bring him home to yourself. And uh, he deserves uh, the standing he has. As, uh, as we saw this morning in Sunday school, the, the humblest man on earth. The humblest man on earth. What a leader. But yet your glory and your honor is so important. And it is a little unsettling, Lord. I mean, it's got to be a little bit for all of us to, to, to think that we represent you and where we go, you go. And so I pray this week that uh, you would talk to each of us and that uh, this week when we're tempted to say an unkind word, we're tempted to grouse and complain about elections. Uh, we're tempted maybe to do something dishonest at work for a slight advantage or gain. Uh, we're tempted to put ourselves first. We're tempted to not serve, but to be served. Uh, Lord, I just pray for me and for all of us that uh, your Holy Spirit would convict us and remind us every hour, every day of the reason you called us. To bring honor and glory to your name. We offer that to you this day. In our beautiful Savior's name, Jesus Christ, we pray.